Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. There's plenty to celebrate in March and expect. Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Cool Zone Media. Oh boy, howdy. Welcome back to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about it happening here. And the it is different most episodes, but today the thing that is happening here is discussion about the growth of self-immolation as a form of protest uh, from the 20th to the 21st century. Obviously, we are recording this less than a week after Aaron Bushnell, a 25-year-old serviceman in the United States Air Force, lit himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., and you know, repeatedly uh, stated "Free Palestine" as he was doing it. He said more than that. Obviously, he wrote, you know, um, I think very clearly about why he did what he was yeah. doing. This is something that you'll have heard a lot of of debate about. There's a certain kind of person, particularly in the media, who feels obligated to say this is mental illness and we shouldn't discuss it as anything else. Uh, I think that's wrong for the same reasons, by the way, that it's wrong to to dismiss, you know, any sort of mass shooter or whatever as mentally ill. Um, not that either of those are similar in terms of the actions. They're not. Yeah. But that attempt to dismiss it because it's something, it makes you uncomfortable to consider that somebody could do something so incomprehensible to you for a logical reason. Now, when I say a logical reason, that doesn't mean I'm arguing this is something more people should do. It doesn't mean that I'm arguing that this was the best thing that that Bushnell could do. What I am saying is that from everything that is available, this was a rational act. He understood what he hoped to accomplish with this, and he took concerted steps to ensure that he succeeded and that attention was drawn to it. His reason for doing it was clear. Um, He took actions like to set up a will and whatnot. This seems to have been a, a rational and principled action. And we are... 
we're not really primarily going to be discussing what Bushnell did because I, I don't really know that there's much to say. You know, it's it's everyone here's yeah. stance that what's being done to Gaza is a genocide. I don't know that this will help. I certainly hope that somehow it does, but we're simply not at a point where we can say what the impact of this on the overall, you know, situation in Gaza is going to be. Yeah. And I mean, I guess like the, the thing we can say off the bat is like, whether or not this matters is to a large extent up to you because like yeah. someone, someone like, I mean, this is the thing, right? Like the it matters in not- the sense that it has an impact on the, obviously I, I yeah, think it matters like, because he was a person, right? Well, that too. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah, in, in the, in the, in the, in the sense of whether it accomplishes political objectives, like yes. that's up to us figuring out how we're going to run a political movement in such a way that the genocide gets stopped. Yeah. And, and that is, yeah, that is not something I have a clear answer for you on right no, now, but I do think, like, I think, so I think the thing we're going to try to do that I think can be helpful in this is attempt to provide some context on what is the history of self-immolation as a protest tactic? How does it tend to work in the past and, and, and in the present? Um, and in what sort of situations has it been more or less effective as a, as an instrument of protest? That's what we're going to try to cover today. Obviously, this should not be seen as a totally comprehensive look at the entire history oh, of God, this. Oh, God, yeah. As, as I'm about to come, this is, this is what we can get for you in about a week. And I think, I, ho- I think it will help and provide a broader sense of context as to how this sort of thing has worked in other situations around the world and throughout time. Um, self-immolation goes back very far as a protest tactic. Uh, there were Christians who were being persecuted by the Roman government in Nicodemia in 300 AD who th- lit a fire in front of the emperor's palace and threw themselves into a bonfire as an act of protest. In Russia, I think in like the 1600s, uh, Orthodox uh, – I don't – there was an Orthodox sect. I don't really know much about them, but they – they locked themselves in pro- in churches as a protest uh, for some of the czar's reforms and then lit those churches on fire. So, like, died inside the churches that they were in. So, this is a kind of thing that, that goes back quite a while. I'm sure there are other cases in, you know, ancient history that go well before that, but it's, it's not a new thing. Um, however, when we talk about kind of 20th and 21st century self-immolation, the first sort of really famous case of this, and the one that like gets brought up every single time people talk about uh, self-immolation as a protest tactic, was one that occurred during the Vietnam War, uh, and it was the self-immolation of a Buddhist monk named Tish Quang Duc. I believe that's T-H-I-C-H. I think that's how that's pronounced. I listened to it before we started recording this, but that kind of stuff slips out of my head, so I apologize if that is the case. <laughs> He's an interesting guy. I think pretty, pretty, his early life is probably pretty common for people who become Buddhist, who became Buddhist monks in kind of central Vietnam in this period of time. He left home when he was like seven. Uh, He became a novice at 15. By 20, he was a full monk. And one of the things that's happening during this period of time is the the South Vietnamese government is this guy, he's called the president. He is a dictator, I think, in, (laughs) in everything but name. No Din Diem. And he's a a terrible guy. He's a French-educated Catholic. And if you know anything about the French history in Indochina, right? Like that <laughs> yeah. that does not suggest somebody whose whose role before Vietnam got its independence from France was particularly great. Um, his brother, No Din Nhu, is the head of the secret police. And they are, despite the fact that Vietnam, South Vietnam is a Buddhist majority country, they're passing a lot of 
policies that are like actively cracking down on and reducing the right of of Buddhist people to worship, right? And you know, this is there's a lot of reasons for this, but they kind of boil down to the fact that Diem was was horrible, was just a fucking <laughs> yeah, dog shit absolutely leader. Absolutely sucks. Yeah, really, really <laughs> trash. Now. I've heard it said online when people bring up the self-immolation, you know, within kind of the context of, of what's happened recently, like this wasn't a, you know, people are wrong when they say this was an act of protest of the Vietnam War. It wasn't. And that is technically true because like the thing that that Duke was was protesting was not U.S. involvement in Vietnam, but he was protesting the U.S.-backed government of South Vietnam, and that government is very relevant to why there was a Vietnam yeah. War. So I, I do kind of think it's it's not entirely accurate to be like, well, this wasn't a Vietnam War protest. Like, no, no, well, it was it was it was like, just about the fact that like the the, the, the Catholic theocratic <laughs> drug dealing fascist yeah. government was like <laughs> murdering. I don't know. Seems like, like you're splitting a hair there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the murdering Buddhist thing might have been part of why there were so many people willing to fight the South Vietnamese government. Yeah. Not a 0% part of that equation, maybe. But yeah, so uh, these guys, these Buddhists, I mean, the Buddhist religious leaders in the country get increasingly angry about what's happening. There are debates, I think, for several years, kind of within sort of the the more highly ranking kind of leaders in, in the, the faith as to like, what do we do about this crackdown on our rights and like, should we, they were talking for quite some time about having a self-immolation protest, right? Like it was the kind of thing where um, there was a, a decent amount of like discussion uh, earlier. And duck is actually the one who um, I think suggested it initially to like other leaders in the church. And yeah, while there was like for a while, they tried to push back against this. Eventually the level of prosecution just became so clear that, you know, they basically said, "Okay, let's like you can do this," and and Duke is going to be the guy who is going to like physically, you know, destroy his body um, in order to carry out this act of protest. As is always going to be the case when we talk about these famous self-immolation cases, half of the story is the guy who does the or is the individual who who lights himself on fire, and half of the story is the reporter who happens to be there. Um, and in this case, it was a guy named Malcolm Brown. He is, I believe, he's an American reporter. He's stationed in, you know, Saigon, and he's he's you know doing what a lot of journalists were doing at the time. And in the springtime of 1963, there start being like these kind of messages put out by the Buddhist Church that are sort of he describes it as hinting as some kind of spectacular protest. His guess was that it would quote most likely be a disembowelment of one of the monks or an immolation. And either way, it was something we had to pay attention to. And like a lot of journalists, he's got some sources within the church. He gets a call one day, and they're like, you should show up at this pagoda at this specific time. Um, and here is how Malcolm describes what he saw. By the time I got to the pagoda where all this was being organized, it was already underway. The monks and nuns were chanting a type of chant that's very common at funerals and so forth. At a signal from the leader, they all started out into the street and headed toward the central part of Saigon on foot. When we reached there, the monks quickly formed a circle around a precise intersection of two main streets in Saigon. A car drove up. Two young monks got out of it. An older monk, leaning a bit on one of the younger ones, also got out. He headed right for the center of the intersection. The two young monks brought up a plastic jerry can, which proved to be gasoline. As soon as he seated himself, they poured the liquid all over him. He got out a matchbook, lighted it, and dropped it in his lap and was immediately engulfed in flames. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, 
what happened that day. Malcolm takes a picture of, he takes a bunch of pictures. You can see all of them. There's a good time article, uh, Malcolm Brown, the story behind the burning monk uh, that has all of the pictures that he took, or at least like a long list of them. And they are worth seeing. Uh, they are, I, I'm not, I, I don't, I shouldn't have to put a trigger warning in here, right? These are photos yeah. of a man burning to death. <laughs> like <laughs> that shit sucks. Can say from yeah. to researching this. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Good God. It doesn't look good. It looks <laughs> no. really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Now, obviously, one of specifically one of the photos, you've probably seen it, where like half of the monk's face looks okay and the other half is just like wreathed in fire. This goes like the 60s equivalent of viral, right? President Kennedy said of the photograph, no news picture in history has generated so much emotion around the world as that one. And at the time, it may have been true. And it is, it is number one, it does have a role in the anti-war movement because, you know, this is related to a, gov- a protest against government we were backing. Um, but this is also... One of the more successful, maybe the most like directly successful cases of self-immolation I've seen, because this does play a significant role in the end of Diem's presidency and, and his life, right? So Duck leaves a note, like a lot of these people do, and his note, again, is, is very clear-minded. Uh, he ends it by saying, before closing my eyes and moving towards the vision of the Buddha, I respectfully plead to President No Din Diem to take a mind of compassion towards the people of the nation and admit, implement religious equality to maintain the strength of the homeland eternally. Yeah, when this kind of happens, as I, I quoted earlier, Kennedy is like shocked and furious. Um, he yells to his national security advisor, uh, who the fuck are these people? Like, how did we not know this was going to happen? He's he's very angry about Does all this. Does he know what uh, a Buddhist is? Like, I feel like, yeah. <laughs> like that's the kind of people who I, I, I actually have trouble imagining like JFK having a, a significant amount of context as to like <laughs> what Buddhism is. <laughs> oh god but maybe, maybe i'm wrong so i i want to quote from there's a really good medium article um the suicide that changed american policy in vietnam by apurva tadepali and this is for a, a series they write called nearpod which is an interactive classroom tool for students and i found this a a very readable and, and concise description of kind of what happened after duke's self-immolation Quote, the publicity of the incident increased pressure on Diem's government to deal with the crisis, but he did not take the incident seriously enough. His response to the death was an announcement on the radio later that day that wildly missed the point. The state of affairs was moving forward so smoothly, he said bizarrely, when this morning, acting under extremist and truth-concealing propaganda that sowed doubt about the goodwill of the government, a number of people got intoxicated and caused an undeserved death that made me very sorry. What? <laughs> okay, I feel a lot of terrible statements about yeah. self-immolation. Do we very sorry? It is this guy. We need to do the bastards episode on him because DM is like he's horrible. He causes a lot of damage to a lot of people, but he's such a fucking scrub, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like fucking Stalin would never, you know, like the OGs. No. <laughs> Very sad. You think Saddam Hussein would have gotten caught up in that shit? No, not, not my no, man. This is this is like this is bush league shit. Even by like mm-hmm. fucking mm-hmm. like East Asian dictators. Like, can you yeah. get yeah. Shek? Like, no way. <laughs> oh no, Kai Shek wouldn't have gotten caught up in this shit. Absolutely Chiang not. Shek. If if someone had tried to do this specifically in Chiang Kai Shek, Chiang Kai Shek would have shot the guy himself. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh my god. So anyway, this scrub, he makes he makes like a promise that they're going to do reforms and stuff. And like while he's doing this, his family, including his brother New, who's like the the head of the Saigon Secret Police, is basically is saying like like literally says, if the Buddhists want to have another barbecue, I'll be glad to supply the gasoline. Jesus Christ. And his wife, who's like a very Mary Antoinette figure, Madame New, who is uh, it's his brother's wife, but she's basically the first lady, right, of of South Vietnam. She's like, let them burn. Uh, we'll clap our hands. <laughs> oh God! So it's pretty. It's pretty cool. Like DM is actually kind of the smart one in the family because he's trying to like tell his sister in law and his brother in law like, nah, bro, or and his brother and his sister in law like, you guys don't understand. We have to be a little bit careful here. This could really go badly. Yeah, it, it really seems like like they haven't figured out the playbook for dealing with this yet. No, because like the successive governments, like everyone has like the same line that they say when it happens. And these people, it looks like they're really kind of scrambling here. They, they didn't have any. They'd never even considered that something like this yeah. could happen. There would be reactions to their policies like this. There are a bunch of protests by monks and nuns. Uh, the police arrest a bunch of people. This continues to draw outrage and make the system situation worse. New, the secret police guy, has his his goons like ransack and destroy a bunch of like Buddhist temples. Basically, a lot of people, like fourteen hundred people, are like rounded up and arrested. DM accuses the monks of being part of the Viet Cong, which is again like <laughs> sure, <laughs> such a yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> so. One of the things that is important to understand here is that this is at a very different part stage of the Vietnam War. The U.S. has troops in the country, but not a lot, like very few compared to how many are going to be there. And at this stage, DM actually isn't happy that we have, even though it's going to become very clear that like the U.S. troops, are the only thing allowing this regime to stay propped up. Yeah, he is like, I don't want them here. They don't even have passports. Right. Like he's 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 like weirdly anti the the like and part of it is because the US is about to act here finally to to take support away from his regime. So three days after his buddy, his his brother-in-law or his brother knew has a bunch of raids on these Buddhist temples, there's a cable sent from DC to the US ambassador in southern Vietnam that's like, we're not backing this guy anymore. Um, and this ends with a bunch of South Vietnamese generals who had already been planning a coup being given the go-ahead from the U.S., basically, saying, like, we're not – our guys are not going to take any actions to stop you from overthrowing this guy. And on November 2nd, Diem and uh, his brother are kidnapped while trying to escape, uh, and they are killed not long after. So this is, you know, pretty successful self-immolation, you have to say, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Works seems like it it works about as well as you could have hoped for that, right? Like the at least I'm sure is as well as that monk hoped because you know DM is not just out of power but is fucking killed as a result of this. So although the problem is the, the, the subsequent people the U.S. put in charge, yeah, also <laughs> suck. But that's that's also you know. part of a pattern, unfortunately. And there's like a weirdly there's like a history of self immolation leading to regime change. We're going to talk about Tunisia at the end of the episode. And that does tend to be the story of like, yeah, we got rid of the dictator. And then a guy who sucked just as much came into power. <laughs> hey, well, the, the, the Taiwan, the Taiwan one we're going to talk about in a second actually goes yeah. pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and before we go into that, because we're going to let you take over from here, Mia, or at least for the next couple of parts of this. But first, let's let our advertisers take over. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. 
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. And we're back. All right, Mia, you are on deck. Yeah, so I, I think I think people are kind of broadly aware, kind of, if you know anything about self-immolations, about the self-immolations in Vietnam, and then also the sort of the ones in the US, like as, as anti-Vietnam War protests. The ones that I don't think most people here know, and that I only know about, like, because, like, my mom was born in Taiwan, right, is... The Taiwanese self-immolations. Yeah, so th- this guy's name is Chan Yong Rong. He is he's he's also known as his, his, his the, the the thing most people call him is Nylon Jung for reasons that I I guess will become clear when he lights himself on fire. So Nylon Jung is a a very very influential. Uh, well, okay, I don't know. If very very influential is quite the word, but he he he's like a, he's a pretty famous and very influential pro independence activist in Taiwan during the the KMT's occupation there. And this is something I I don't like. Americans tend to not understand this very well. So okay, so the 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 KMT, the Chinese Nationalist Party, they take power in Taiwan after just invading it effectively. They when 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 they when they lose the civil war, the KMT's like remaining forces and a bunch of their supporters like flee to Taiwan. And there are there are like three groups of people 
who the KMT like spend most of their time killing. And that is communist feminists and Taiwanese independence activists. They also hate Presbyterians for reasons that are. Hey, hey, we all hate Presbyterians. <laughs> am I right? Okay. To be, look, look, I, I am not normally a Presbyterian liker. The Taiwanese Presbyterians like legitimately do good work in the sense that they are like one of the groups that's like pretty important in bringing down the KMT one party dictatorship. But okay. So Taiwan has this like really appalling like one party dictatorship. Nylon Jung's actually born, I think, if I'm remembering this right, he's born like during the February 28th incident, which is this thing in uh, 1947. Actually, we're, we are two days, I think when this goes out, we'll be two days after the 77th anniversary of it, where there's there's a giant uprising in Taiwan because the like people in Taiwan fucking hate the KMT because they suck and they murder people. And there's this giant uprising and the KMT eventually like their military forces get reorganized and they, so the initial uprising takes most of the islands and then the KMT just come back and kill everyone. They kill about 20,000 people in a week. Um, It's one of the sort of like, I don't know, one of the kind of like defining incidents in what becomes sort of Taiwanese national culture. It's just this like massacre. And then, you know, it's basically, it's legal to talk about afterwards. This is, this is the beginning of the sort of white terror in China and they're going to, and, you know, this is the start of the KMT kidnapping and torturing like tens of thousands of people. One of the things that happens in this, this is actually so this is this was my family's experience of it is that, OK, so there's there's this up, there's the uprising. Right. But one of the things that starts happening pretty quickly is these like retaliatory killings against like against Chinese nationals. And that was stuff my family was like, yeah, we like couldn't go outside because if you leave your house, like you're going to get killed by mobs. And that stuff, that stuff like sucked. Yeah, that that does sound like it sucked. <laughs> no, it's not good. It, I mean, it's the thing because it's, it's it's weird because it's like that uprising, like broadly good, but it turns like parts of it turn into race riots or like it, it's, well, it's weird. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, it turns into these like like anti-Chinese national like riots and that stuff, you know, so Zhang is from a Chinese like like just from like a, a, a sort of like Chinese national family that like fled to Taiwan after the war. And his family is protected by other uh, Taiwanese, like, like uprising people who are like, no, like, we're not going to fucking just kill these random Chinese people. Like, what are you guys talking about? And that's this really formative thing for him sure. where when, this is one of the things that causes him to grow up to become like the kind of Chinese, like t- a Taiwanese independence activist that he is, where he's one of these people who is really big on Taiwan as like, a, like, t- like liberating Taiwan as a nation, but having it be like a nation of ideals, not a nation of blood because his, you know, because he, he, he sees how badly this kind of like ultra nationalist bloodline like shit can go. And so he, he becomes like a, a pretty prominent independence activist. He runs one of the anti-party newspapers, like anti-KMT newspapers, and he's he's mostly doing a lot of the stuff in the 80s where so basically like you have two consecutive like like there's Shanghai Shek and then you have like more guys from that family by the 80s you're like democratization is kind of like slowly moving forward because the Taiwanese ruling class is losing American backing they're losing backing overseas but you know, even even by sort of 1989, which is in the period in which people are talking about like, well, democratization's happening, like it's going to go forward. Uh, the country still has, like, it has they haven't had like real national elections, and they still have these really, really intense, what are called anti-sedition laws. 
And so one one of the things that the the pro independence activists and this is the period in which like Taiwan's like modern ruling party, the 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 uh, Democratic Progressive Party, like comes into existence or like they're coming to existence as the anti KMT party. And this is the sort of milieu kind of in which Leilan Zheng is sort of mobilizing. Right. But he's also I don't know. He's like he's a kind of guy that doesn't exist anymore, which is like he's kind of like a a like per, like liberal progressive national liberation supporter. So if I actually I found a really interesting thing translated by um Yin Han Chen on this guy I kind of am aware of from Twitter, who translated this thing that he wrote about Palestine, where he he is a pro-Palestine guy. But it's it's interesting because he he sees Palestine as like another nation that's been like subjugated in the in like a similar way to Taiwan has. And, you know, and he he's like an anti-armed struggle guy, but he's also very sort of he's very committed to to Taiwanese independence as a national liberation movement. And specifically, like the thing that you're liberating it from is the KMT. And so, you know, he 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 gets into trouble constantly with like the KMT government. They arrest him a bunch of times. And eventually, in, in 1989, he gets charged with these by these anti-sedition laws. He gets charged with insurrection for like spreading drafts of a potential new Taiwanese constitution. And so he barricades himself in his office, refuses to show up to court. He gives this giant speech about how like you'll never take me alive. And the police kind of take him seriously. He's he he's barricaded himself in like his newspaper offices, and he's there for like two months. And at the end of month two, a cop who is the current mayor of New Taipei City tries to burst down his door. Oh, eh, that doesn't seem like a job that you should be able to have. No, no. <laughs> I, this, this is one of these things where it's like, okay, so like the KMT, I, I, this is one of these things about sort of Taiwanese politics that's weird, is that the KMT is the modern sort of pro-China, pro-unification faction, right? Those guys suck. Like, like they're they're not at they're not the same sort of like just death squad party they were in the sort of late in the, like the twentieth century. But they're also like, yeah, no, it's literally their mayor, their mayor of New Taipei, which is okay. I'm, I'm not going to go into what the difference between New Taipei and Taipei is here. That's a, that's a whole thing. I'm guessing it's like the difference between you know New York and Old York, right? It's 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 closer to the difference between New York City and New York. Okay. Okay. But that makes sense. Yeah, that works. Like this guy, this guy who, again, like was elected like two years ago, tries Mm -hmm. to kick down his door and Nylon Jung lights himself on fire. And this has a enormous impact on the sort of subsequent course of Taiwanese politics, because this is a this is a like this is a PR disaster for the like for for the ruling for like for 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 the current government which had been trying to sort of like do its like ah we're doing moderate reforms blah 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 we're doing you have local elections now you're we're doing democratization and suddenly like their cops break down this guy's door and he lights himself on fire and you know that the 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 cop later says like oh yeah we broke down the door because we were trying to save his life it's like no you uh-huh. did it what the uh-huh. fuck are you talking about like i love things that have never happened that's my favorite kind of thing <laughs> yeah and you know so so there this is one of these things that i and this is actually a thing that that's become that's a very very common thing in protests like now so nylon jung has he has this massive funeral um and this is an absolutely enormous funeral march and the police attack it 
And when the police attacking another pro-independence activist also lights himself on fire, like in front of the cops when they refuse to do it. And this, that, that second guy is like a lot less remembered than Nelan Jung, but this becomes a massive sort of rallying cry around like, you know, for the pro-dependence people, but also for the sort of broader fight for like an actual, like actual free democratic elections. Like the, the big thing these people were protesting, like specifically was free speech, because mm-hmm. the thing about the sedition laws is if you, you know, again, if you start passing around copies of the constitution, they try to arrest you and throw you in prison. Yeah. I mean, nothing says sedition like the constitution of the country you're in. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like, you know, changing it, I guess, is sedition. It's like, the, the KMT really suck. Like, cannot emphasize that enough. Mm-hmm. But the, the the sort of, the result of this is that, you know, okay, like, so, this is one of these actions that's kind of complicated because the, the, the arc of Taiwanese politics was bending towards democratization and some kind of, like, actual electoral system. And it, it probably would have happened even without this, but this supercharges the whole process within about two years two or three years all the sedition laws are repealed and within well it it takes a while before you get i think i think it's like 2000 i think it's like really when you can what you can call like the first really free like taiwanese national election when the when there's actually like a transition of power between the kmt and uh the, the 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 democratic party sure but yeah it 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 was to a large extent very successful like it I don't know. Okay, so it, it it accomplished the goal of knocking off the KMT sort of one party state. It, it knocked off sedition laws. The the kind of Taiwanese independence like that's very very sort of national liberation driven is kind of not the same one that exists in Taiwan now. It's a bit different. But on the other hand, like yeah, they they did it. It was it was really it was pretty effective. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like this is this is I of the ones that I've seen, I think this was the most clear he won. Nelan Jung's like a, is sort of to this day a pro independence hero. Um there's there's a, a, a there's a statue of him. Uh so they they they, they I think that, I think I'm pretty sure they they, they, they turned the office where he lit himself on fire like into a into a uh like into a museum. And there's uh, there's a, there's a very famous sort of like pictures of these the statue of his burned corpse. That's just harrowing. It's one of the symbols of the sort of Taiwanese democratic movements. Um, and it's also, it's also a sort of, it matters a lot. This is also happening in the same year as Tiananmen. Like, yeah. So there's that kind of like, it's in the air, right? Yeah. 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 And his, his widow goes on to be a, a DPP politician. Um, and it's one of, it's one of the things that it's it, it like his, his memories invoked during like, so in 2014, Taiwan had their own version of Occupy that's like shittier called the Sunflower Movement. I'm sorry. This is this is where we're getting into the the Mia has a bunch of political beefs with people in Taiwan. Okay. Um, where I think they're all libs, but <laughs> it's yeah, like they have their own sort of they have they have like the, this this large series of street protests and this like he's one of the figures that's, you know, one of like brought up in as yeah, like a sort that, of Yeah, that's going to be the same thing stuff. with um uh, the guy in Tunisia we're about to talk about yeah. too where where they become even to people that they would not you know, certainly we're not like expressing similar views. They still become this like icon um, that gets cited. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think, I think the last thing too is he's the fact that the cop who kicked it, who kicked his door down is now the fucking mayor of new Taipei city is just mm-hmm. like, 
Oh, appalling stuff. Yeah, the KMT absolutely suck. Uh, and those are the people who want Taiwan to be reunified with China. So if that <laughs> understand who you're making your bed with, if that's the kind of politics that you you want to be engaged in. Yeah, so cool. that's that that's 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 the Taiwan self-immolations, I, I guess, kind of, I don't know. Not enough bad things happen to the cops who trigger this kind of stuff, yeah, they, which they often sucks. don't. Although I guess I, I guess the cops in South Vietnam didn't do great. No, no, no. I mean, in the ultimately, right? It doesn't yeah. immediately really cause them any problems. <laughs> takes a while. The secret police a bit. Speaking of secret police, this podcast is sponsored entirely by the secret police. So, you know, check that out. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. And we're back. Yeah, we just got beaten by uh, phone books because they don't leave any bruises by our, our sponsors at the Secret Police. So, you know, the Secret Police, like the police, but secret. Mia, did you have another one you wanted to get into before we talk about Tunisia? Um, do we want to do Tibet first or do we want to do Tunisia first? Uh, why, don't we, why don't we do Tibet? Yeah, so I, I think, other than Tunisia, I think the most famous wave of... 
self-immolations was the ones in Tibet that started in about 2009. There, there is actually a guy in Tibet who lights himself on fire in the late 90s, but that doesn't have the same kind of sort of... It, it doesn't have the same effect as the 2009 ones. So one of the things that's been periodically happening, I guess, over the sort of course of the 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 history of sort of occupied Tibet is the Dalai Lama. So the Dalai Lama like flees. There's this whole giant drama in 1959. So so okay, I, I guess I guess I should go back to the beginning. So Tibet is just like straight up invaded by China when when the after after the communists win the civil war. This causes an enormous amount of shit to happen. One of the things that the Communist Party is trying to do is they are trying to gain control of the Tibetan religious system so that they can eliminate the religious system. Like they can they can eliminate like the, 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 the Buddhist clergy effectively like they can eliminate Buddhist monks. They can eliminate like the religious institutions as a source of resistance to them. They are kind of foiled in this when the Dalai Lama makes this break and escapes to India um, and this is one of the things that triggers eventually in in the in the sixties China's war with India. But one of, one of the things that had been happening for a while was these kind of negotiations between the Dalai Lama and the Chinese government to try to like find a kind of resolution to like how bad things were in Tibet. And in two thousand nine, the Dalai Lama goes, "Yeah, none of this is fucking working. Like, it's not nothing. Like, we're not we're not getting anything. The Chinese government's not offering us any like." any actual deal that we can live with. And pretty quickly this. So, okay. You, you get this giant wave of self immolations. The, the, the first guy, this guy named Tape, he is a monk. He lights himself on fire in 2009. There's conflicting reports. Okay. So one of the, one of the problems with talking about this is that in this period, the, the internet is not as widespread as it is today. And there is a there is a, a giant like there is a Chinese like media cordon effectively on on Tibet in a very similar way to like West Papua where they like they won't let journalists in. It is very hard to get information out. So the thing that I'm about to say is something that is reported a lot on the time by people who try, who are trying to smuggle messages out. And the thing they report is that as this guy is self immolating, the Chinese police shoot him like multiple times. Well, I mean, as we've as we've seen recently, that is how cops tend to look yeah. at somebody like, yeah, someone has let themselves on fire. Clearly what this situation needs yeah. is a gun. And, and yeah. you know, OK, so like the Chinese police, they there I don't I don't have any evidence of them shooting people after that. They absolutely one of the things. that So what happens after this is this wave of self-immolations is protest across Tibet. The thing that they absolutely do a lot is start beating the person who's on fire with a stick. Like using like riot sticks. Um, sometimes they have these. They have riot sticks with like spikes on them, and they are absolutely Christ. beating people to death while they are burning to death. The Chinese police are like as psycho. Well, maybe not quite as like absolutely murderous as the American police, but they are like they are I mean, beating a burning man to death. Right? That is. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, I, I will it's, say that is that is definitely. I haven't. That's certainly. I can't think of anything I've ever seen U.S. police do that is more violent than beat a man to death while he's on fire. Like, yeah, that's, that's up there. That that makes the cut. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, and, and this is the kind of thing that you know. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that that sets off these self immolations in the first place, which is that Tibet 
has you know like is has has a colonial occupation right it has you know the the chinese government has been attempting to suppress tibetan buddhism sure. there's been a massive wave like systemic massive ecological destruction of the tibetan plateau so that the chinese government can like mine gold and shit and in in a way that's very similar to sort of like the ecological devastation you get in places like the amazon there are, you know, there, there, there are intense police crackdowns all the time. There, there's another very famous incident that's like kind of one of the things that leads to this, where in 1989, there's there's a bunch of protests in Tibet and the cops just start shooting them. They kill a bunch of people. And so, you know, and, and, and people had been like up until 2009, people had kind of had this promise that things were going to get better because, you know, you have these negotiations between the Chinese government and the Dalai Lama. And... Then the Dalai Lama turns around and goes, yeah, no, they're not giving us anything. Like, they're giving us nothing. The Chinese state's policy on Tibet is that effectively we're going to, like, we're, we're going, we're going, we're going to, like, we're, we're going to try to make these people Han effectively. One of the things they, they spend, and they do this in Xinjiang too, is they spend a lot of, there's a lot of resources invested in getting, like, Han settlers from other parts of China to move to Tibet. You know, and, and you know, as, as as is true also in Xinjiang, like the like the cadre jobs are basically all like government cadre jobs are basically all uh, Han people, and so you know you, you start getting you start getting attempts at civil disobedience. There are these giant protests in two thousand eight, like attempting to make a sort of like a giant have a giant thing happen right before the Olympics in order to get international support, and those turn into riots, and those are brutally suppressed. And once that happens, people are really kind of they're running out of options for civil disobedience because you know and this is one of one of these things about this kind of buddhism is that it's it's very much a like their their resistance tradition is nonviolence right like these people sometimes like very very rarely you get riots but they're not like they're not going to try your arm struggle and so what they have is nonviolent civil disobedience. But the problem is that if you try to do nonviolent civil disobedience in China, what happens to you is the, the cops show up and arrest you all. And then they arrest your families. And this is something that happens to the people who self-emulate, is that there, there are like 160 of them from 2009 until now. Oof. And when someone lights himself on fire, what ha- the Chinese government does is, well, A, they beat the person to death um, while they're on fire. Uh, B, they you, they start arresting the people's family. They start arresting their friends. They start arresting people in the monasteries that they're at. Um, they start doing these purges to like stop, like to 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 remove the sort of Buddhist monks who they think are going to be problems. And this this fuels this kind of cyclical wave of this because, on the one hand, you know there's this incredible repression going on. On the other hand, it's not possible to like wage really like wage other kinds of mass civil disobedience campaigns. And the thing about lighting yourself on fire is that the government can't stop it, right? Like in theory, you could maybe train police to stop people from lighting people on fire. But the thing is the actual thing that happens when you light, when someone lights himself on fire is the cop goes and beats them. And so it it, it becomes this sort of, it, it becomes this sort of like this cycle of, 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 self-immolations and also i mean the other thing that's worth mentioning too is, is people there there are a few other cases of 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 uh tibetan buddhists like outside of outside of tibet you do it there's a few people in india who let themselves on fire and i don't know i i think the tibetan example is really bleak because it doesn't work like they lose um 
And this is one of these situations where I don't know, like I legitimately don't know how they could have won because yeah. they were dealing with a enormous, a very, very powerful state apparatus that was very invested in using all of its state capacity to repress them. And it, it, it fails. And it, it, what the, like the, the thing that it mostly accomplishes is a bunch of, is like just a generation of, well, I mean, some, like the youngest kid who self inlights is 15, right? And it, it mostly yeah. accomplishes a bunch of these kids light themselves on fire and die. And everything is worse now than it was in 2009. Yep. I think, you know, so the, the very recently there, there've been big, there've been protests in Tibet again, because the CCP is trying to build a dam that's going to flood and destroy a bunch of monasteries. And I don't think anyone's lit themselves on fire over it, but the police just arrested everyone. And so, I don't know. It's really bleak. And I, I, I think the, 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 the free Tibet movement has become much weaker as the sort of like 2010s went on to the point where now I think like most American, like most, like most of the sort of like broad American far left basically just takes the Chinese line on it, which is that like the Dalai Lama was a slave owner and the Chinese occupation was a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I want to take like two, like a couple, like a minute to talk about this because yeah, like I hear that a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's this thing where like, you know, it, it's really interesting looking at a lot of these people who are, who are anti-Tibet, but pro-Palestine because you know, if you look at the originators of settler colonial studies, like people like Patrick Wolf, right, who was like the godfather of settler colonialism studies, Tibet is one of the states that he holds up, like as the paradigmatic example of of what settler colonialism is. It's Palestine and Tibet, right? And you know, and I, like the 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 thing about oh, it was because they were trying to like free the Tibetan serfs really pisses me off because if that was the actual thing the CCP wanted to do, they could have done a thing that happened all over the fucking world in communist countries, which is they could have moved in, they could have knocked off the government and they could have set up a, a communist Tibetan state, right? This happens all over the fucking Eastern Bloc. There's precedents for it in East Asia, which, mm -hmm. you know, there's a precedent of Mongolia, which was also, I mean, a very different Buddhist society, but also a largely Buddhist society where the Soviet Union went in, knocked off the government and set, off a, set, set up an independent Mongolian state, Right. And I'm not going to say things like went great for Mongolia, but the thing is, if 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 your actual objective is just knock off a theocratic government that you don't like, yeah, you could have done that, and they don't. Yeah. They don't do well, it. Also, they incorporated it also, fucking China. It's also worth like stating, like, yeah, things maybe not like didn't work out great in the immediate term for Mongolia, but Mongolia as a state right now is not. Like the worst, it's not doing as badly as like Tibet is doing, you know, yeah. like it's, it's an independent country that functions more or less. And, yeah. And who does better than functioning more or less really? Yeah. Like, and, and this, I don't know. And this is, this is the sort of that's, and that's one of the things that like Chinese nationalists tend not to really use that line. I mean, they use it a bit when that, they, when they're, when they're personally like, when they have to like specifically make arguments about the Dalai Lama, that's something they do. But most of the arguments that the, that the actual like supporters of the Chinese government in China, the arguments they make is like, oh, well, these people are like these people are shitty barbarians and we have to like we have to civilize them. And like our invasion was a gift to them because we're going to civilize these people. And like it's it's literally it's like identical to the shit that like <laughs> that the Israelis say about Palestinians. Uh, we should also very briefly mention that a lot of the surveillance technology that's used in Tibet 
like are cameras that the Chinese government sells to Palestine. So keep that shit in mind. Yeah, and and I, I don't know, but it, it's it's it, this this is one of the really bleak examples because the the thing about self immolation as a politics is that like it, it functions by mobilizing someone else, right? And in some cases, that's that's you know that's another government. In some cases, that's your own government. In some cases, that's the people around you. But if you're in a state where the government does not give a shit about you, and they have the ability to ruthlessly repress anyone who's inspired by your actions it just it leads to a lot of people dying and i don't know what the sort of lesson from that is other than it's really hard for and this is this was the thing with hong kong too is it's it's really hard for any one any one part of china to try to go into revolt against the government because there's so much more of the rest of fucking China, and yeah. if if you if you if you alone are pitted against the entire might of the Chinese state that has broad popular backing, you're fucked. Yeah, and it's it's really bleak, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't have anything positive to say there. <laughs> hey, everybody, Robert here. Uh, our discussion ran very long, so this is going to be a two-parter. You'll be hearing uh, about Tunisia and more in the next episode. But for now, please continue listening to our podcasts and not other podcasts, because why would you do that? Who would do that? Nobody I like. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da, 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. <laughs> 